Yes. Okay. So, hello. Welcome back. Where'd Christina go? Oh, she's back there. Okay. Um, so, um, I'm going to do a presentation now. Um, I am mic'd, yes. You want to try a little volume or... You got it now? Okay. Almost like a delayed reaction, huh? So, I can slow down. So, I'm going to do a presentation now about um, sexuality and erotic transference in spiritual care. Wow. I like that. You got a little meow at the end. That was good. That was good. So, um, I, wish, I, I wish we had a lot of time to go into this, but I do want to have a, do a presentation and do some reflection with you about the phenomena of um, not if, but when you become attracted to somebody in your care or somebody becomes attracted to you or when somebody that you work with appear is in that dynamic with somebody else and they turn to you for some help. Okay, yeah. So that's what I want to talk about. And I'd like to begin this with um, a little piece of reading. So I have um, uh, a passage here uh, of what Romeo says in Romeo and Juliet and what Juliet says in Romeo and Juliet. I'm not going to tell you which is which. But can we have two volunteers to um, read one of these? Thank you. Thank you, Cater. Either one of you can go first. And if you can use the mic and um, be as dramatic as you feel inspired to be. The balcony can be the stage. Oh, yeah. Oh, Cater's going for it. We can. But soft, what light through yonder window breaks? Is it the east? And Juliet is the sun. Arise, fair sun, and kill the envious moon. Who is already sick and pale with grief? That thou, that thou her maid art, far more fair than she. Be not her maid, since she is envious. Her vestal livery is but sick and green. And none but fools do wear it. Cast it off. It is my lady. Oh, it is my love. Oh, that she knew she were. She speaks, yet she says nothing. What if that? <laughs> O Romeo, Romeo, wherefore art thou, Romeo? Deny thy father and refuse thy name. Or, if thou wilt not, be but sworn, my love, and I'll no longer be a Capulet. Tis but thy name that is my enemy. Thou art thyself, though, not a Montague. What's Montague? 
It is nor hand, nor foot, nor arm, nor face, nor any other part belonging to a man. Oh, be some other name. What's in a name? That which we call a rose by any other name would smell as sweet. Thank you. So, um, on a scale of one to ten, how powerful, how interesting, how energetic is this passage? It's pretty up there, right? Yeah. We have a lot of associations, and there's a lot to this phenomena. And even uh, many of us may have studied or read this or seen the movie when we were teenagers, right? So I want to have a conversation about sexuality and erotic transference and first note that this is very powerful territory. You know, that we all got kind of interested not only in the phenomena of two people repeating these famous passages but also just in the phenomena of theater and romance as well. Which is interesting because it's actually a not all of it. It's a very tragic story, actually. It's a very tragic story. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Juliana? I was just going to ask if you could, before you start, I don't understand what erotic transference means. Great, I'll get there. Okay, yeah. sorry. Yeah. That's just the title. Oh. I'm going to go, go into detail. Um, my hope for this is that I can help you think that this is happening and think about, well, just pay attention to it. And also to kind of normalize it. So that's my hope for this presentation. Because this is very powerful. Yeah, very powerful. Once upon a time in uh, the world of psychotherapy, um, the tradition of that healing practice, um, therapists would meet with people and when there was an attraction between two people or one for the other, often the patient would be pathologized and made wrong. If you were in therapy and you had a crush on your, you know, or in a class if you had a crush on your teacher, you know, there's been a history of finger pointing when it comes to attraction in care relationships. What I'd like to propose today is that because we are sexual beings, it happens. And the it that happens is attraction, purely because we're human. And we all have a type or two of people that we're attracted to. Some of them may be in this very room. So we've been working with it all the time. I actually think that sexual energy is present in all of our relationships. I would propose that if you can think about it that way, it's a question of volume. You know, to what degree? How loud is it? So because we're alive, because we came from the act of sex, um, that we all have this energy within us and it's a very powerful life force. And then when there's attraction between two people or from one to the other, just in one direction, it's a matter of chemistry and not somebody's fault. Nobody's fault. Often in our 
some, somehow in the world we get into finger pointing with this, you know. Either it's because of what we've been taught or what we've seen in the media or the family that we were raised in or fill in the blank. But there tends to be an instant finger pointing. So one, I think it's in all of us all the time. And two, it's mostly chemical. So why is anybody to blame? Why is anybody? Nobody's to blame. That's what I would say. Erotic transference is when, so transference is when, if I can use you as an example. So let's say you and I have a disagreement, right? And I am really mad. And it's kind of disproportionate to actually what we talked about. I'm bringing my past and bringing it into the present on you. That's the transfer, what's called transference. Now that can happen with sexuality and attraction as well. So this huge, perhaps you're attracted to authority figures, you know. Well, not you in particular. Not so much? No? Okay. So that... So when there's a huge sexual attraction, sometimes it's disproportionate to maybe anything that's actually here. It's exaggerated because of what's happened before. Yeah. Does that make sense? And that could be if you're the chaplain and I'm the person inside who you're visiting or vice versa. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. Good question. So um, what I'd like to do is have you all take a bit of a self-assessment tool um, to think about in the relationships that you're in providing service to others to what extent is sexuality on your mind or present or not present and um, we're not going to be sharing your answers to this tool but I'm going to ask you afterwards to talk with somebody else about what it was like to be asked these questions okay so you can be as honest with with yourself as you want to be here yeah and I would say just notice your breathing you got another question? Yeah. Can I ask you now? Or yeah, no, sure. So you said that it could be a chemical and no one is to blame. Right. But at least in my experience, when I would assume that if there's a chemical, sexual... Synergy. Synergy between a teacher and a high school student, probably the teacher is a pervert, right? So like... Uh, not necessarily. But Not I mean, sure. if it's like an old-ass man and like a young... Oh, here we are back to age again. <laughs> Missy? <laughs> no, but, no, but, like, but, you know, but isn't that, like, then why are all the priests from the Catholic Church in getting called out for touching little boys? Because they did something. Okay, well, that's what I'm just asking. Yeah, so that's good clarification. Yeah, that's a good clarification. And because you're so smart, you're already thinking about all these scenarios. So let's reel it back to you now with this questionnaire. I hope I made enough. Can we start? Yes, please start. Just start whipping through it. Do we have enough? Oh, good. All right.
Has everybody gotten through that? Okay, great. So then I'm going to ask you to turn to the person next to you and just spend a few minutes describing for them uh, what it was like to be asked these questions, the phenomena of thinking about this just for a few minutes. Yeah? Okay? And it's going to be brief and you're not going to be helpful to the other person, you're just going to listen to them, which is actually helpful. one thought about
I'm back. So I want to say again, um, you know, for some of us, we have issues around money, addiction, family, anger management, sexuality. It's just like those. Just It's a thing, you know. So if you found yourself... Like it says at the bottom, you know, if there's a lot of these that are true for you, uh, I invite you to watch whether you're making interpretations or value judgments about that or not. Because you know, it's about the same as the other ones. You know, we all have our stuff. Right? Does that make sense? Yeah. yeah. But this one in particular, Historically, there's been harm done by people in religious and spiritual authority to people in their care for whatever reason, just like people in government you know, or people in medicine. Um, and there's something very sexy about power differentials. you know, And so it all gets kind of knotted in there together. So I think just to try to keep bringing it to light. And also, when people are in a crisis... Um, particularly a medical one, um, uh, the body and all that is to us gets very brought to the fore. Does that make sense? Yeah. And it is, isn't it? Thank you. So what might be kind of sexy about a hospital or prison environment? Let's just call that out to spitball it and I'll repeat into the microphone so or what might be suggestive of sexuality attention Attention from one person to another and what kind of attention compliments compliments okay okay great thank you what else I'll give a few examples. So, the presence of beds in a hospital. The presence of uniforms in a prison. You know, people in uniform are archetypally sexy. Remember? Or beds, what happens in beds? People have sex in beds. That's the kind of thing I mean. So what else is happening in these environments? that would turn the volume up on one's own sexuality or somebody else's or the field between you or that you might observe with other people? Well, I think in general in North America, people aren't very vulnerable to each other. And in these situations, there's a lot of vulnerability and authenticity. So the vulnerability and authenticity, thank you, can elicit warmth, warm feelings and, and slip quickly into... Um, Desire. Intimacy. Intimacy. Thank you. Yeah. Intimacy. Admiration. Admiration. Right. Right. With a preponderance of positive admiration. Like, you know, yeah, exactly. What else? Someone who, at least in the present, someone who comes back week after week to see. Right. They're coming to see me. Right. We have a 
Thursday afternoon date at three o'clock. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What else? Compliments. Compliments. Mm-hmm. Clear roles of dominance and submission. Dominant submission roles. Mm-hmm. Yes, and hospitals. Right, so those two environments are kind of... Right, right, exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the soap operas too, you know, like, that this is where you find romance. I had, <laughs> there's somebody runs in my and CPE who was taking CPE in a hospital to find romance. And d- dressed accordingly. Dressed accordingly. Like something out of General Hospital from when I was growing up. I, I, and uh, that was rough. That was really rough for me as a supervisor. It was tricky. Did you say that there's pornography in, in hospitals? No, I think the reference was that. Yeah, I know. It's a good clarifying question. Well, I think you could say that hospitals and prisons are a little bit like high school. You know. You got your cliques, you got the cafeteria, people are smoking at back, and it's a rumor mill. So, why wouldn't there be pornography in either one? Right? No, but I think that the reference was more that if, you, if one were to see pornography, it might be played out in a hospital or a prison. Those are kind of sexy environments as compared to a drugstore or an optician's office. It's forbidden there. That's part of it, right? And the classroom. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so forbidden can lead to sexy. Exactly. Yeah, the illicitness of it. And that's some of why people are attracted in these environments because it's forbidden. Exactly. Forbidden fruit. Yeah, great. Also, in hospitals or in healthcare, there's skin that's exposed or people are talking about their bodies or people are asking questions about other people's bodies. Or they may be receiving health care with some regard to their sexuality. So it's kind of already there, you know, and they're processing it, you know. Whether that's... uh, And um, I know that often for... uh, LGBT chaplains, often people will experience people coming out to them as a factor in their ministry because they are out themselves. You know what I mean? Just like maybe there's a certain kind of aged woman with some of my demographic background that might just feel more comfortable with me than Alan being in the room, you know, and might tell me things that she wouldn't tell you, you know. It's the same thing around sexuality. Yeah, and sexual orientation in particular. Does that make sense? So, what does this require of us as caregivers, given this reality? Juliana? Ethics. Ethics, yeah. We need to know our ethics and to follow them. Yeah, great. So let me say right now, it is never okay to have sex with somebody in your care. And by that, I mean kissing, Fondling, oral sex, or intercourse. Never, ever, ever, ever. Okay.
Even if it feels so right, it's wrong. It's not wrong to think it or to feel it or to want it. That's just being human. That's just what comes with the territory. And actually, I think by doing this work well, we are sort of inviting this. You know, we're, we're, we're in the neighborhood. You know what I mean? We're not accountants asking about people's finances, but we are, you know, traveling with people on a soul journey and creating intimacy and points of vulnerability. So if somebody is vulnerable around family or politics or sex or um, uh, what kind of insurance they have, you know, this, this process of being close and having that quality of, of connection, it's, you're inviting it unconsciously. It'll happen. So that's why I want to talk about this now, to not say if this happens for anybody in this room, but when. Yeah, when. Yeah. Not if, but when. And it's probably already happened, and it's probably happening now. So what, given that, ethics is one thing we can do. What else is upon us or can we be responsible for? Or what else? Sorry? Boundaries. Boundaries. Mm -hmm. Very clear clear boundaries. So I just set a really clear boundary or reminded you of a very clear one. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Self-honesty. Self-honesty. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Accountability with other people. Accountability with other people. So, uh, um, what I think works well is to talk, to normalize it into our peer relationships. You know what I mean? So like, oh yeah, you know, I got issues because of my family, you know, or I got addiction issues, or I got sexuality issues, you know, and aren't, aren't they the same? And your peers can know that if you want them to know that, and if you want support with that. Does that make sense? Yeah. Secrecy actually can fuel attraction. Like Romeo and Juliet, right? Part of that was the secrecy. Yeah. 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 I think that um, I was pretty much unaware. I just never... Okay. Well, I invite you to be on the lookout. Yeah. Yeah. And particularly the energetic type, you know, like, and think about it, there's people you meet that you immediately like them, you know, what's that about? That's just, that's chemistry, you know. People you meet, you immediately like, uh, I hope they don't talk to me. I hope they go talk to Paul instead. I don't want to talk to that person. I don't like them already. You know, what's, what, you know, it's, it's not, cognitive it's not based on data it's just energetically we resonate with some people so even that can be fun to kind of track you know rather than flirtation which is very trackable as well yeah do anybody here feel oh please so i get the whole like you know thinking versus acting and i do find i found so i'll just in one situation i was in 
working with um, a population that that was off limits uh, for these reasons, I, f- I found myself feeling something and not saying anything or doing anything. And I wasn't even like interacting with this person, but it turned out that that person at that very same moment that I was feeling that was feeling something and brought it up to somebody else who then I heard it from. So I was like, I didn't do anything. Um, and, and I don't, you know, it's like transfer. Like, I don't know whose I was feeling. It was something in the mm-hmm. field. And so I'm just curious your thoughts on, on dealing with that. Um, you know, does that make sure, sense? Sure, sure. Um, so I think, you know, between two people, there's a field, you know what I mean? And so you both smelled something, you know, it's pheromones. You just, you smelled it, you know, and for one of you, I've been really strong and the other one, it's a whiff, you know, like who has chocolate, you know, and I kissed my husband goodbye this morning and I said, you smell like chocolate. And he's like, I don't know why. And then I looked at the granola and it has like, you know, chocolate chips in it. I'm like, you're so busted. You just had chocolate chips in your granola. So I could smell the chocolate. Also because I don't eat chocolate. So like I'm like chocolate alert. You know. I miss it too. You know. I really miss chocolate. So like I notice it. You know. So that's how we can pick up on it unconsciously. It just happens. Oh, what to do. Okay. So let me come back to that. Thank you. And I'm going to go there. Yeah. So I want to talk about um, what else is observable in the environment. So we talked about attention. What else can you observe? Uh, Banter, right? Banter is observable, right? Uh, Where people place their eyes. How people dress. The tone of voice. Can I do a little demonstration with you? (laughs) (laughs) Boundaries. Okay. Okay. Yeah? Okay, great. I gave up on the boundaries. That's why I'm so. I could say to you... um, I could say to you, you know, I think that was a really great presentation you gave this morning on resolve, you know, and it made me think of, I could say, you know, that was a really, really great presentation that you gave on resolve. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) I really liked it. And it made me think of things. (laughs) Okay? Thank you. Here endeth the demonstration. I am. I am. I'm, I'm a flirtatious person, in case you hadn't noticed. Yeah, I am. Too bad you're so far over there, or else it might have been you. Yeah, Christina's a smart one. So, see, it's it's that. It's it's that, and it's pleasing. Initially, you know, it's you know. Did you see it? A flash of fingers over there? Yeah. So it's, it's that, and it's that benign, if you will. You know what I mean? But this is a part of how we interact in the world or how other people are interacting when we're in the room. So it may not be you, but it may be you're thinking like, those two need to get a room. I can see it from 50 yards away, you know? And then 
a co-worker of theirs says, you know, I'm really tired of working with them because all they do is flirt. So now you're like, what do I do as the chaplain knowing that somebody in the workplace feels kind of harassed at some level from two people flirting with each other? So you may be in it at that as well. And what are you going to start with? Your own relationship with sexuality. <laughs> and what's your first thought about, who am I going to blame? You know, or, you know, shut it down. You know, neither of which are probably the great first things to think about. Please. I'm not sure how to talk about this, but um, it hasn't come up. Uh, as a woman going to a male prison, um, when I was at San Quentin, it was like, whoa. It just felt so sexualized. Um, and uh, and I feel like, you know, eyes were on me the whole time I was there, mm-hmm. you know. and um, I'm so glad you were aware of that at the time. Yeah. And um, and then they were, you know, really strict about how we dressed, which mm-hmm. totally made sense to me. Mm-hmm. And when I saw women dressing provocatively, what I thought was provocatively, it really bothered me, <laughs> you know. Yeah. I mean, I had my own stuff going. Right. And plus, then there's the power thing. Like, in society, yeah. men have power over women. Then you go into a prison, and you're a volunteer, you're a female volunteer, right. and, the, and the men that... The, the, the men inside, you know, that are incarcerated have less power than me, you know. Right. So it's all kind of well in there, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. it's really yeah. quite and intense. It, a lot of it's relativity too. Mm. So, like, you might go unnoticed in another environment. Mm-hmm. Totally, but you were really noticed in that exactly. Environment yeah, relative to X, Y, and Z. Yeah, yeah. Especially so you, as an older woman in a lesbian relationship. I found that so bizarre when I, you know, because I'm used to not getting attention. Right. So you probably really noticed it when you did. Yeah. Whereas somebody else might be getting that attention a lot in daily life Mm -hmm. and have that privilege and not really realize it because I get it every day. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. They they say the only touch you have is a handshake uh, with with, uh, the inmates. Uh, Or that's what I've heard. So uh, I was aware of that. What I get um, so um, have so much empathy for the situation. A lot of times, I find myself patting them on the arm, and it seems so natural, in a sense, of it's about letting them know I'm caring. But they say only shake the hand because this could be interpreted as something. And um, and so I want to follow the rules. <laughs> you know, it's like the, the rules are there for a reason. And the other part of me, this other part of me that wants to say, I get it. You know, it's like, and it's so, so hard. I yeah. know. And you know, what you're pointing to, Dal, thank you, is we have needs as providers. Yeah. 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 I have a need, you know. I need to express well, something. Yeah. I need to get a certain kind of attention, you know. I want to know that I'm being effective, you know, whatever it is. However, right. the responsibility is to get that need met elsewhere. 
well, so, so I get, in, I get to work on. in this situation, you know, you want them to know that you care. Yeah. So that's what I would reflect upon. Yeah. The need. Because somebody else could be in the same situation and care, but not need to let them know that they care. So that is the part that's your side of the street, if you will. Do you know what I mean? I'm beginning to. Great. I'm okay. beginning to, and I yeah. really want to explore it because I, I, yeah. I really think there's something there. In the meantime, only shake their hands. Okay. Keep your hands to yourself. Impulse, Impulse control. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And no, really. Yeah. No, really, because you don't know yeah. the harm you could be doing. And your intent uh, won't hold up if the shit hits the fan. It won't. Yeah. The impact. And your crossing that will impact you and others in ways that you don't understand yet. So. I love the word impact. Yes. Impact, impact. Impact, exactly. That's what I really need to get, the impact. Exactly. The urge is totally natural for the impact. And this is why also with chaplains, like I don't, since we're talking about touch, you know, I don't, I would never actually touch somebody in my care there. I think that's too intimate. I mean, I will hold hands or maybe once in a while be like, <laughs> okay, that was a little exaggerated, but like, I don't, I don't touch people. I just not really. If they ask for a hug, it's different, and I'll say something like, "Okay, but it's got to be quick," you know, because I'm the chaplain. You know, like I kind of so. And the problem is um, interpretation. And even later on, that person could be mad that I gave them a hug and might say, I was feeling really vulnerable. And in hindsight, it was too gropey for me to be hugged by you. And I was in an altered state because my father had just died. So I think you're a bad chaplain and I'm going to go tell somebody. And that impact is much stickier than the impact of me saying no or setting some sort of boundary with humor that says, you know, and slow, I slow it down usually with people, you know. And I've learned how to do the body block when people come at you. You know, there's like a, if you turn to the side, you can kind of, sure. Want to try to give me a hug? You know, people are talking and all of a sudden they're like, oh my gosh, that was so <laughs> nice to talk to <laughs> Will you about try to hug me? Yes. Why? Oh, I just wanted some comfort. and I. Oh, okay. All right. Well, here I can hold your hand. <laughs> Sneaky. <laughs> Persistent. Thank you. <laughs> you have such nice eyes. I got to see them up close just now. That was nice. So some of the skills is how to, you know, how do you deal with conflict? How do you deal with a medical procedure in the room? How do you deal with somebody's wallet falling all over the floor and, or spilling their Coke. You just you figure out how to kind of redirect, you know. Um, and the problem is not your intent, it's the perception. And there's so much harm 
that's been done by clergy to people in their care. That even if you are not a clergy person, um, Joe's already gone. Bar. You know, she was saying earlier, somebody turned to her at the prison and said, so, clergy person, about God and me and my salvation, what do you think? You know, it doesn't matter what a person, who, how you see yourself. Somebody will see you that way. They see you that way. They see you that way. So we have to be extremely, I think, conservative. I'm not saying asexual, shut down, but just skillful, you know. And one of the ways I've also do it is that I name it. So like with you just now, I said, you really want to give me a hug, don't you? You know, like to almost kind of say, this is what's happening as a way to kind of, you know, put it on the table. That I just had a couple of weeks ago. Um, I, I work at a hospital, and I had a patient who was only 24 years old. And I went in, and he wasn't talking, and um, he put his hand out. So I held his hand. I asked him if he wanted to talk, and he shook his head. And I said, "Okay, I can sit here for a little while. We can be silent." And I was just holding his hand, and. It was kind of a long time, so I decided it's time for me to move on. And as I did, he held on tighter, and he wanted me to stay. So I stayed a little while longer, and then he made an indication that he would like for me to give him a little hug. So I went around, and I gave him a little hug, and then he kind of held on a little bit, and I was a little fearful in that moment Mm. of breaking this, you know. And then finally I did have to, and as I was starting to pull away from him, he just started tearing, and mm-hmm. and I realized this was somebody who hadn't been touched probably in a very long time. And I didn't know, I just didn't know, you know, right. how to handle, and I ended up saying some very nice words for him and left with a blessing, and, mm-hmm. and then I left. Right. But as we're talking about this and just kind of reflecting on that, you know, that my inclination was to give him that he so I, I, needed I'm not, I'm not, something, but I'm not saying never hug. Yeah, you know, it's so context, context, context. Right. However, think it through. Mm-hmm. Imagine it before you go in the room. When somebody's holding my hand, I won't let it go. I'm thinking, what am I going to do when they try to hug me? Mm-hmm. You know, like see it coming. Mm. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and I'm not saying never. It, it can be healing, but it's tricky. Yeah. It's really Well, how you would you have careful. handled that then if you kind of was indicating and I mean this is somebody's not saying any words, just I don't know, gesturing. And they could be in an altered state. You could look like somebody he once loved or his mother. Mm-hmm. We have no idea what's going on for people. So to be aware, to be on the conservative, cautious side mm-hmm. and to not blame. and you know there's also going to be the day you're going to walk into a hospital room and somebody will be naked how are you going to handle it? somebody will be what? naked or will purposely expose themselves to you how are you going to handle it? why would they do that? well it's a way to feel powerful when they're feeling vulnerable and that can happen in the prison too I suppose right? What'd you say? Naked people in a classroom in Berkeley? <laughs> the naked guy who was famous for a while because he went to class at Berkeley naked. 
Now here's the good news. Um, ba- the Bay Area in general is very sex positive as compared to other parts, other places geog- geographically. Um, mostly due to the LGBT community and uh, the AIDS crisis. So what's great is that you can actually get a lot of education in the Bay Area about sexuality. You know, there's, a, there's a whole sex positive movement. There are events that happen. One of them's coming up in June. You know, it's June is Gay Pride Month and there's a parade. and um, There's things you can do to kind of up your comfort level and your knowledge about sexuality, sex, sexual behavior, um, pathology, um, understanding norms. Like, for example, uh, my observation is that in the gay men's community, flirtation is socially acceptable. There's a great deal of flirtation. And people will say, that's a really hot husband you got over there. You know that, don't you? I hope you're holding on to him, because if not, I'm coming for him. You know, like, that's socially acceptable and said in the right spirit. Do you know what I mean? I find your husband attractive, you know? Or I find you attractive, you know? And, and that may or may not lead to sexual contact, but my point is, every milieu has its norms. Does that make sense? And so it's really good to know them, too, you know? So I'm not shocked when I see that happen in a room, you know? Does that make sense? Yeah. You just brought up something that I wanted to ask about and that was the relationship between humor and flirting yeah you know when you're I mean because where is where is there a, a line I mean what is the line of course there's a line but it's a you're not saying don't have humor correct if I was I would be in really big trouble right <laughs> so Can just sort of can you address that a little bit? I don't know. I have to think about it. But I think I use humor to flirt with people. Absolutely. To to draw us closer together. Mm-hmm. To earn your affection. Yeah, absolutely. I also find it fun. But you know, so that's part of it for me and I get away with it because I'm so good at it and I'm blonde and blue eyed and curvy and (laughs) it all works and if you and I were in the same environment I would probably be doing it more than you right Yeah, but I'm thinking in terms of like a hospital room and, and somebody's in, you know, pretty good spirits and, you know, mm-hmm. you can just sort of chat and it'll... It, I don't know if it's turning flirtatious or you just kind of talking and you make yeah. a few jokes. Which is... I'm not... I'm not, I'm, not, I'm trying not to say this is good and that's bad. Yeah, I'm yeah. I'm trying to say okay. let's be aware and be as well educated and comfortable and knowing ourselves in the midst of this as other things as a way to prevent harm what to do when we're attracted I'm getting back to Adam's question now so in general what works well is to not keep it a secret but to tell somebody else 
and tell somebody else. A peer or somebody that does not have power over you, but somebody else. Like I mentioned earlier, you know, if you've got a group of chaplains that you hang out with, spend time with, those would be the people or one of them to go to to say, this is going on and I need to talk about it. Or somebody's going to come to you and say, chaplain, you know, this doctor and I keep flirting and now I've got one of my coworkers telling me we need to get a room and I, I don't know, you know, what are you going to do? You know, you're going to have to be there for them. Yeah. It's going to be harder to do if you're really mad at that person for flirting in the workplace. Emily? Um, microphone. I had my first um, maybe overt like sexual thing in a hospital probably just last week. Mm -hmm. And it was, I think, mutual attraction. And I was sort of, yeah, like it was going fine and was lighthearted. And he had an infection, which was like visible and severe. And then he looks at me and he goes, I have it on my penis too. (laughs) I was like... I didn't. I don't think I registered anything, but inside I was like, gulp, you know, and like, right. and I was like, I just didn't like. Was that a test? You know, I I don't know. And Were then you flabbergasted. Totally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you you still look a little flabbergasted. Yeah. <laughs> Which and, is totally fine. And then I learned his like girlfriend was coming into the room imminently and I was like okay and I definitely was like I think I'd like to leave before she gets here and but I also like made a point to like check her out am I prettier than her right yeah. well just like yeah who like but it was <laughs> totally high school I told you it's just like high school. <laughs> but that was my first I mean it's a funny topical moment because okay, I, that good. was my first like good. Oh, wow. Yeah, Yeah. that can exist. Yeah. Um, And I would also love to hear if um, the gentlemen on the panel have any um, things to say on this subject from your experience as a man. Mm. I mean, I'm sure you have lots, but um, yeah, curious if you have any short words or or anyone. (laughs) What you wish you'd known back in the day that you know now in this territory? Or where you've made some mistakes? Or how you handle people coming to you about this with somebody else? If I feel something coming up, if I feel something coming up, in particular if I think something's being directed at me, I ask myself, okay, what way am I behaving? Uh, you know, either as you were saying, just internally, you know, what's going on internally or what's coming across externally, you know, and, and really reflecting on that. Okay, this is a signal of something, you know. This, it, it, of course, it can always be, this has nothing to do with me, this is entirely the other person, but usually that's not the case. You know, there is often something, and I find that a helpful um, question for myself. Do you want to add anything? 
just this thing about telling other people, there are a couple of times where there was uh, some mutual attraction with a woman, then I thought it was important to go tell someone else. So I would tell uh, colleagues of mine, the other teachers, and let them know. And, you know, I say, you know, keep an eye on me. That's inappropriate. Stop that. I don't like that. Stop that. Just like they teach kindergartners. Stop that. I don't want you to do that. I'm leaving now. That's helpful. That wasn't my question. <laughs> okay. Uh, my question is if there's a consensual relationship between a caregiver and a patient, and that transgression has happened. How do you rectify that harm? And you observe it, or you're told? Or participating. Those are three great things that you could answer, right? Because they're all going to come up. Well, potentially. So, (laughs) once upon a time... I observed something myself and it was against the rules and I reinforced the boundary and a bunch of people got really mad at me. Remember that? I do remember that. (laughs) Really mad at me. And I do not regret reinforcing the boundaries. I do not at all. Yep. Mm-hmm. And I saw something, and I'm like, "That's not okay. Stop that." So, um, most institutions have a process to go through. Um, and again, I think keeping something secret is a problem. At the time, I remember when I observed this, and there were a couple different things I observed with two people, I felt like to not say anything was to collude. And and I witnessed some what I thought was uh, impactful behavior to the the space around them, you know. And... uh, Yeah, people were very unhappy with me. So what I have observed is that there's two ways you can go. One is you don't say anything. (laughs) So there's two ways you can go, or maybe three. You don't say anything, and it continues, and everybody kind of knows, but nobody actually talks about it. Like high school. (laughs) Or you say something... And somebody is, in effect, excommunicated. Mm. And so I'm wondering if there's a way to have transparency in the whole community, but also a way for, for, the, for the people who caused harm 
to find a way back into the community. Right, right. And that's, a, that's about a reconciliation process, which usually hinges upon people um, confessing, saying, am I coming to a place of, yes, my behavior was harmful, and then I have some regrets. Yeah, that's kind of a linchpin moment in the reconciliation process. Yeah. If that doesn't happen, then it usually doesn't get worked out. I think one thing that can help is to normalize sexuality so that... Cause I don't like to see that it's about sex is more a big deal than if, you know, money or property. You know, like, I, I think one thing is to say, well, it, it, it is happening, you know, and this is not something to turn away from as a part of our humanity. Does that make sense? So in that moment, you know, when you're with the patient, um, you might think, well, I would probably say out loud, huh, you didn't need to tell me that. That's interesting, you know. So it's a little bit way to neutralize it is to just go right into it and be like, huh, you know, like, um, but maybe the person really does want you to know I'm really worried about my sexual functioning in, in my future, because I have this, you know, terrible illness, and you know, and it's in a roundabout way, but it, it, you know, with some time or another time, you might be end up having that conversation. Yeah, preferably with somebody you're not that attracted to. Unfortunately, I think you got kind of like a several things bundled up in there at once. Yeah. You know. Can I add something about that incident you referred to indirectly? Part of the complications of that situation was they were nice people. And they, one wasn't taking advantage of the other. Um, what, they were, what they were expressing to each other was genuine. It just so happened that in the context in which it ha- was happening wasn't appropriate. And, and so other people got upset, and I think... They're upset was around, but wait a minute, they're nice people, why are you being mean? And also, they're not mistreating each other, why is it a big deal? And just so happened, it it was the wrong context for that to be happening in. But it it was interesting to watch the turmoil in the situation because of those kind of simple attributes. Because what I said was, not here together. Yeah. You know, I don't. You guys can't be on the same shift together. I remember. Yeah. That it was. It was. It, that was. That was the extent of my setting, resetting the boundaries. Was, you're both on Sundays. No, one of you needs to move to Friday. You know, this. This is just. You know, a couple things I've seen. Let's just not have you be together on. Yeah. Well, thanks for your thoughts. Twelve years later. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And, you know, they're, you're right, they're totally lovely people. But, you know, and that's the other thing is when you're, yeah, yeah. When you're in that, too, it's a bit of a spell. You know, like, I could understand, I, I could so easily, if I spent quality time with Paul, cooped up in a, I don't know, something, after a while, you'd be looking pretty good. You know? Context, 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 you know? Really, 
Really? You know, and I am, because I can actually flip over pretty quickly. You know, and I have like a high arousal response to touch. So like if somebody was really sweet and touchy with me, I'd be like, ding, 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 ding. You know, just totally juices going. That's just how I operate. You know what I mean? I'm, I'm, so, I, and I can fall over pretty quickly. You know, I can fall for anybody if we have enough quality time together. You know, I'm just that kind of person. You know, so. And, I, and it, they were wrapped up and so they just, and who wouldn't? I mean, when you're in that rapture, you know, you're not thinking about who's in the next room while you're making out. You're just not thinking about it, you know. You're under a bit of a spell, you know. Sex is very powerful. Right up there with anger, you know, like the people we're talking about who are in prison, most of their... The other number I know they use there is how much time did it take you to commit your crime, you know. And so the contrast between how long you're here and how long that took was like, you know, a split second, you know. And it's the same thing with sex. Everything can be fine. And then in a split second, you know, everything has changed. Including, well, that's what happens. That's how people get pregnant, you know. The heat of the moment, you know. Yeah. So we can't underestimate. So um, I had a guru once who used to say, you don't dig the well while the house is on fire. So we've got to dig our wells. We've got to be well-resourced, knowledgeable, prepared, so that when the fire does come up, we're talking about sex, by the way, in case you didn't figure that out on your way in. Uh, so, you know, I'm, I'm empowering you to go forth and get competent in this area so that when, not if, but when it happens, um, that, uh, you know, we can fulfill our intention and... Uh, and forgive ourselves when we make mistakes too, and f- forgive our colleagues, you know, for transgressions. And there, there will be. They may not be of the consummation, physical touch time kind, but they're there, you know. Yeah, they're there. I think that's the same metaphor you used when you said we should all get therapists. We should dig the well before the house is on fire. Right. Like for, as far as self care. And that's why at this little inventory that if sex is on your mind a lot, get some therapy. It just might be one of your things. Or I'm not saying we should all get therapy. I'm just, but oh. like reiterating that point of like, isn't, isn't it important to know like your sexual like baggage before you go in? So it's like you know what you're walking in with. Right. Except human development is such that we learn as we go. Oh, okay. I was just wondering. Don't, I mean, some of it, yes, but also I've, I've, figure this out along the way you know so like if someone is going into prison and let's say they have like issues with men or their father or, or some stereotypical like male issue should it would your advice be like to make sure that that person or that individual has like steadfast solved that issue and overcome whatever like um oh not no not necessarily i, I don't think so. i don't think that's humanly possible i think the person who's screening for their entry should screen for that. You know what I mean? Like for this course, I screen for people who've had a lot of big life changes or loss. Because what I've seen is this is a a very challenging course if you're in the middle of a lot of transition or you have a lot of grief or you're caring for a very sick parent. I screen for that for this training. For example. So some of it's also the screening of the other people 
you know. But but some of it can get healed and worked out by playing it out over and over again in that setting with some boundaries and telling your peer every time, well, there's another guy that I think is a perpetrator just like my grandfather. And, you know, I asked once a teacher, you know, when am I going to stop projecting? You know, and he said, when the bulb burns out, which I thought was a great answer. That was Frank. Yeah. And I I thought, yeah, we have, we, we keep, you know, but we need to find a way to do it that does no harm. And, you know, some, some people might be like, yeah, this is the wrong environment. This is too hot for me right now. I got to, you know, maybe I'll go into hospice when there's fewer sexy, angry men that look like my grandfather, you know, or whatever. Um, and, you know, uh, I don't think we've got it all figured out. But I, I wouldn't want somebody to not do something just because of their own humanity. You know, because my own brokenness can make me a really empathetic companion. You know, and people get if you've been through something, and they get that you've been through it, then you can have a a bond and really care for them and help them with their healing in a way that other people can't. So that's true of this territory as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 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 So yeah. Next time you get together in your small groups, maybe you could talk about, you know, who you're attracted to or how often you get attracted or what's your type or if something's happened. Like, I really appreciate your offering your story, Emily, about what happened to you. It was very generous of you. And you also, Dal, talking about, you know, this happens and what, you know, like, this is very generous of you to help us learn. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I know, I know. You do have a lot of projectors going, don't you? You do, yeah. That's the sound of a light bulb breaking. So, I'm looking at the time. I need to end. I'm going to just check my little list. I'd like to read one more thing about love that's not on the Romeo and Juliet end of the continuum, if you will. That's more about uh, the truth of love. The truth of love. Between two people. Uh, Would somebody like to read this one? Not as well known as uh, Shakespeare. Thank you. by Rilke. For one human being to love another human being, that is perhaps the most difficult task that has been entrusted to us, the ultimate task, the final test and the proof, the work for which all other work is merely preparation. Loving does not at first mean merging, surrendering, and uniting with another person. It is a high inducement for the individual to ripen, to become something in himself, to become world, to become world in himself for the sake of another person. It is a great demanding claim on him, something that chooses him and calls him to vast distances. 
Thank you. I like how Rilke makes me sound good. Totally. You sounded very eloquent. <coughs> For one human being to love another human being, that is perhaps the most difficult task that has been entrusted to us. I will post those quotes as well as this inventory tool on the course website for you to have. Yeah. Oh, okay. I have a question about the inventory. It's a little late in the game, but is that inventory a little biased towards men? Is that is like are these are more male behaviors or more typically heterosexual male behaviors? Interesting. I don't know. For you? Yes? They rang for me. Uh huh. But I wonder if they rang for everybody else. Not so much. Some women are saying no. I'd say no, like not biased. Not biased? Mm-hmm. That's it. And, you know, so much of this is wrapped up in culture around sexual orientation, gender ethnicity, race, economic background, education, you know, these are all in this territory. Yeah. There are other people who would not be having this conversation in this room with us right now. Yeah. And for those of you that I've made uncomfortable by bringing it up, thank you for staying. Because this might be beyond what you think people should be talking about. You know? Yeah. But I didn't pull them from, like, a source that's for men in particular. All right, so we're going to take a break. Take a break. We just look around, see if there's anything else. Thank you, thank you, thank you. It just keeps kind of coming up for me, just like, I think it's really important to normalize sexuality and attraction. I think it's also important to recognize when what appears to be sexuality is about control. Mm. Harm. A lot of harm. Mm-hmm. And that is what we're, the Me Too movement, that's what we're really seeing. Mm-hmm. That we flushed out. Right. Uh, right. Particularly in uh, the religious and spiritual. Context. Right. So we, in this territory, need to overestimate our power, you know, and not underestimate it. You know, like for whatever might seem like for us, like I just want this person to know I care. The magnification that happens here is so fast and so potent that we need to be responsible for that and act with that in mind. Because you're right. It's not just the sexuality, it's the, the power differential in institutional settings or non-institutional settings. Mm-hmm. Right, right. Right. Yeah, I just watched the documentary about the gymnasts. About the medical doctor who sexually abused gymnasts and, and thought it was a medical procedure. Yeah. They're just, you know, that's, again, that's, that's what we're talking about. You know, this is really awful, painful stuff. And somebody may disclose to you and you need to know your institution's rules about disclosure. You know, if somebody tells me they're being uh, 
exploited. I remember when my mother-in-law checked into the hospital, we were with her in the middle of the night, and they were like, well, we need you and your husband to step out of the room. We got a few more questions. And there were a hundred questions. It had been two hours worth, you know. And we walked out, and Steve was like, why are we out here? What are they asking her? And I said, they're asking her if we're abusing her. And they're checking her for bruises. This is, so the hospital is supposed to be the, the catch-all. You know, it's where people are tr- discovered and treated. You know what I mean? So we're, for those of us that are in healthcare settings, that's, you know, what people are doing. You know? And I was really glad they checked her and asked her, but literally that's, you know, the social worker is like, is there domestic violence here? And that's part of my, I need to bring that to the whole team and that's then considered as a part of their discharge plan. You know, really. Mm-hmm. So thank you, you're right. It's big, big stuff. We've just named it today. We really didn't, besides, you know, pay attention and get used to talking about it. One last question, yeah, or comment. I just, I really appreciate this conversation. Thank you. Um, there's something that I don't know. Maybe you've, maybe you said it in the beginning, but I just wanted to reiterate it because it's been helpful for me to to hear from a lot of teachers in seminary and talk about just like the sexiness of spiritual power and like and that maybe we yeah we have institutional power, but then there's also like all the other stuff that's projected onto like that like the person that Joe was seen to be the person who knows what's up with God or whatever. And and I notice myself doing that a lot to like teachers and um in my school and otherwise and like it's um it's just important to know that to own that that's something that might be put on us and if especially like dealing with maybe some insecurities and ha- like maybe attract being attracted to that kind of attention or energy um could be alluring or hooking for some of us so just something to put out there I like it. And it reminds me. No, not really. I don't, I don't like it like that. Although maybe. Hmm. Uh, I could go there. I could figure it out. Uh, for you, people associate gender identity with sexuality. And you could get... Yeah. Exactly. But I'm saying it gets all bundled together. And so for you even... And what you offer in your identity, it's there before people even know your name. Right? Well, if they know. But I'm saying, whatever we wear clues people in, and these things are all bundled together, you know. And so it's going to, it may come sooner to you than it would to somebody else in the room because of what you're wearing. You know what I mean? Yeah, or how you identify yourself. Sorry? It's my choice to wear. Exactly. And, and any of us could wear something that would identify us, which then invites more conversation or contact. Yeah. Including, you know, oh, wow. You know, you're the sexy Buddhist in the room. Cool. I always wanted to have it with a Buddhist. Yeah, cool. You guys are really... <laughs> yeah, is that a thing? <laughs> Juliana's like... A sexy Buddhist? You're looking at one, baby. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I will say that the thing, the thing you said about like the, the context of the culture, like 
it's I've, I have a meditation teacher who's a gay man who has asked me out. And like that, you know, that's a big no-no. But I'm like, I, it's different within that culture. And, you know, like I, uh-huh. I co-lead a trans meditation group. And I have seen those people in, in like sexual places. Uh, and, of course, I didn't, you know, like uh-huh. engage. But I like, it's a small community, <laughs> you know. And it is, you know. Mm-hmm. So... And a different boundaries. And I think places. in some spiritual communities, there's some reluctance. Like we don't want to be so dualistic, do we? It's fine, you know. It's really fine, you know. They're they're being good about it, you know. And this happens a lot. There's been this has been in Dharma communities a lot in the past decade, you know. Teachers and students, and yeah. it's. Um, I said, that's a good answer. Right, right. Or I, I'm not available for that. Or if you're interested, then you need to not to come to this group. That's another answer. Oh, yeah, I'm interested, but now you can't come to this group. You can't be in my, you can't be in the room where I'm in power and you're not. Yeah. Well, arguably, if you want to go out, the person in power steps away from the situation. Yeah. yeah. So oh. The, so the teacher and the student want to have sex, fine. But the teacher needs to step down, not the student needs to leave. Because it's the teacher who is in hell. That's, that's how I'm going Fascinating. Yeah. In some of the Christian seminaries, it's definitely the opposite. Like in the Lutheran seminary, they teach that if you're attracted to any one of your congregants, you have to break up that relationship for at least a year. Uh, and have them go to another parish. They have to go to another parish. Um, yeah. Because this is your livelihood. Yeah. You know, you can stay with that, but you cannot um, date or see this other person for a whole year before okay. you can start dating. So that's interesting. Thank you for that. Uh, I'm going to have to mull that over. She's right? She's right. She's right. Yeah. I didn't know what you said. That on a moral plane and on an ethical plane, as a rule, the teacher goes to step away from the power, not the student. Oh, oh. opportunity. Wow. Thank you. Can I ask a clarifying question about that? When you say it's the teacher that needs to step away and not the student, do you mean if they choose to engage in a relationship? Not just if a student happens to be interested in a teacher and a teacher interested, then, yeah, you don't step away for that reason. It's if there's a relationship. Okay. That's that difference between feeling or experience and action. Well, that's fascinating. I'll have to mull that over. Well, then never mind. I'm not attracted to any of you because I'm not leaving. (laughs) (laughs) Never mind. You're dead to me. I'm dead to you. All right. Thank you, guys.